lemony. That cool, refreshing drink. All this, apologies to Dinner for Geeks. This is Diet Mountain Dew at semi-room temperature. Not car temperature. And when do you bring us in, Bill? Uh, <clears throat> la, la, la. Well, you know, we have no preamble. Usually we have a preamble. Have we got a preamble? Preamble? Orange whip? Orange whip? It's up to you orange to whip. find something. Three Seven. orange whips. Three orange whips. Waitress, three orange whips. There we go. That's a preamble. And welcome to Avengers Spotlight. I think we, I think we're up to seven now. Yep. We're just well then. Now we're cooking with gas. We are just cooking right along. And this time we are finally, we are now going to finish the Under Siege storyline that so many of you've been waiting for, and we've been dragging our butts getting to it. And we apologize, but we are back and dragging our butts like a dog with worms. And that. Buttworm dog voice you just heard right there was by one of my co-hosts, Paul Spataro. Hello. And we have with us our other regular guest host, whoops, I mean host, <laughs> Mr. Scott Goom Gardner. Hey, how's it going? How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How about you guys? Good, good. I'm glad we finally got back to an Avengers Spotlight. Because now I'm glad I... we finally got back to Under Siege. <laughs> under the Siege. Because now, <laughs> now I can get back to some editing. I can relearn everything I've forgotten. You must learn what you you must unlearn what you have learned. Don't so, forget to truncate the call. Truncate. Oh yes, I have to do silence truncate, right? Or truncate silence. Truncate the silence. This truncate is is that like truncate a Depeche the silence, man? Is that like a Depeche Mode song? Truncate the silence. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a roommate in a service who was just nuts <laughs> about them and it oh my god. I couldn't stand them. I used to just to make him nuts. I used to call him to Peachy Moody all the time just to piss him off. I'm 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 sure he found your uh, your attachment to movie uh, scores to be equally annoying, though. Well, you know, back then though, I, I didn't. I mean, I d- definitely listened to movie scores, but I wasn't exclusive at that time. So I listened to a lot of Floyd and Led Zeppelin and shit like that. So I was I was. It's gonna say a little more mainstream. I don't know if that's even necessarily mainstream, but you know. Well, you're talking like 20 years ago, so yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I I had a roommate that was also really into Depeche Mode. I mean, I, I like some of their songs and one of their albums, and then he would play Personal Jesus all the time, and I changed the lyrics to Your Own Personal Cheese Whiz. He didn't really think that was funny. <laughs> Your own personal cheese whiz wanted to put on the crackers that you can share <laughs> that's not okay, funny that's man not, 
Just, just showing, just showing how how off of uh, that stuff I am is. What would Depeche Mode's be biggest song be? Probably most my, mainstream. What? Maybe Personal Jesus. Uh, Might be, yeah. There's a couple. There's one before that. I, hmm. Was offhand. I don't know anything. See, but. you're asking me, and I, I've spent you know the past. Well, let me see. This would have been eighty nine, ninety. So how long ago is that? Years. Twenty five years. Yeah, I've spent the last twenty five years trying to get that shit out of my head. So all I ever wanted, all I ever needed was here. Shut up. Okay, you're bringing it all back again. I'm gonna have nom flashbacks, man. He's Stop gonna, it. He's gonna be sleeping tonight and like twitching in bed. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? It wakes up in a cold sweat, and your wife's like, "It's okay, it's okay. Depeche Mode's gone. It's okay." Sheriff Lobo, Sheriff Lobo, <laughs> Sheriff Lobo. Misadventures. Was, was on The Simpsons. You remember that? He, he was like having nightmares, and he's laying in bed twitching, and he started going, "Sheriff Lobo." <laughs> oh, I forgot that one. Well, anyway. Uh, I don't think we really have any new Avengers news for many of us. We've babbled on. I've babbled on about Uncanny Avengers on the other shows, so oh, at play. least twice. At least Maybe twice. Yeah, I know. I know. I kind of really ran that in the ground. But uh, I guess new movie news. Um, I don't think there's anything new on the on that front. We're still looking. I believe May of next year for Age of Ultron. Uh, everybody excited? Crickets. Oh, I'm crickets. jazzed. Jazzed as hell about that, man. We gonna go see that together, Paul. You gonna fly down? You gonna, I wish. You gonna get on your company jet? My Demonzo Core jet. My Demonzo. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. Two, my Demonzo Core jet is made of uh, styrofoam. It's a two seater crop <laughs> dust. It's, it's got a rubber band and a plastic, <laughs> plastic propeller. <laughs> yeah, Sonny, we gotta dust these crops on the way down. Just hold on. Uh, uh, all right. Well. I guess we've uh, we've got a little feedback that we're going to cover tonight. We have three emails in. Uh, I'm Paul. You want to take the first one? I'll take the second one, and Scott sure. can have the third. I'll take the first one, which is titled "Feedback on Avengers Spotlight Number Six from Jason Sandberg, Paul, and Bill." Sorry, Scott, you're out. Issue number three of What If holds a special place in my heart. It was one of the first back issues that was passed along to me when word spread among my family that I'd become a comic-crazed six-year-old. Can't remember exactly how it ended up in my hands, but I know it would have taken wild horses to drag it away. Wild, wild horses. Sorry. Thank you. That story was like a punch in the gut. I was struck by how well Shooter conveyed the sense of Tony Stark being overwhelmed. The Avengers were broken and Iron Man was stretched thin to fill the gap. And how cool was it to see the other suits of armor? Whenever I read that story, I'd wonder what would have followed in that timeline. Who would have stepped into the role of upgrading their armor? Would Captain America remain a frozen idol worshipped by Eskimos, etc.? The What If series was my first exposure to the idea of alternate realities. Thank you for bringing the Chaos War Dead Avengers to my attention. I was unfamiliar with the title but I'm always on the lookout for books with Tom Grummet art. I've added it to my hunt list. Looking forward to the next part of your Avengers Under Siege coverage, Jason Sandberg. And I would tell you, I agree totally with you, Jason, that that's the whole idea of the What If universe is to make you think that way. Not only to take the story that they give you, but 
the endless possibilities that spring forth from it. And that's one of the things that just makes it such an enjoyable thing to read those stories, although they almost always end with some form of death or dismemberment. Uh, they, they can do that and bring a smile to my face just the same. You're a dark man, Paul. Dark man. <laughs> well, I... That said, oh, that said, we're going to move on to the second email tonight, and that is entitled Avengers Spotlight Number 6, What If the Dead Avengers? From our friend and fellow podcaster on the DC Comics Present show, Mr. Russell Bragg from Clarksburg, West Virginia. Hi, guys. Great show as always. It was nice to finally hear another Avengers Spotlight. Yeah, we do get them out eventually. I do have the What If comic Paul talked about in one of the What If trade paperbacks I have. What If was one of the few Marvel comics I enjoyed growing up. Marvel was always there because my brother bought every Spider-Man title available back then. Of course, I enjoyed Hulk and Spider-Man on television, but I just never got into their comics that much. I guess I consider myself a DC guy. I enjoyed Dr. Bill's book too and the guest appearance by Alvin. It does appear he is on the mend. Good to hear it. Hope you get back to Under Siege next time, which, yay, we are, and that Scott will be able to join you. Yay, he is. He was, <clears throat> he sure I'm was. I'm here, I'm here. <laughs> Yap. <laughs> Does anybody get that? Yap. No, I don't. I'm here, I'm here. From, from Horton, here's a who? Oh. We're here, we're, we're here. here. Yap. <laughs> Somebody out there will get it. Yeah, not me. I'm really dating myself with that reference. Anyway, go ahead. And this is okay. Uh, you don't remember that, when they're going to boil the dust back? Yes, and, I remember. Okay, all right. <laughs> don't yell at me, man. Is this like you role? Is this like role reversal? What? Usually, I'm the one. <laughs> it's because you won't stop singing. I'm not singing right now. I'm trying to read an email. Well, you said it was like role reversal. Will you two stop fighting? <laughs> <sighs> You wanted and, me here, I'm here. And that Scott will be able to join you. He sure was rude, not considering back to the bins of priority, huh? Better in here. Thanks once again for keeping my Saturdays entertaining at work. Russell Bragg. Thank yeah. you, Russell. Yeah, he is rude. <laughs> yeah, I gotta wash my hair sometime. I always like the What If series because it's... It, and I think we t talked about this... Uh, um, it was another one of the series along with when I first started getting Avengers and Iron Man. What If was one that introduced me to a lot of stories that I'd never read. Mm -hmm. So I got to see the twisted version of it, and then it made me wonder, well, how did the real... You know, because they would tease how the real story played out, and I was curious as to, you know, what was the real story, and I would go and try to buy some of those key books that they would reference in there. You know, it's funny what, what Paul was saying about, you know, so many of those stories end very darkly, and that is very true. But what's funny is if I had to pick my all-time favorite one, and that's hard to do because there's a lot of them I really like. The one I would probably say was my absolute favorite one was uh, What If Spider-Man's Clone Had Lived, which is one of the few I can remember that actually has a really positive, upbeat ending to it. And maybe that's part of the reason I always liked that one so much. But I really did enjoy that story. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah, but I don't remember how it ended. Because didn't it really... Didn't his clone... All right, it's been so long since I've read... Like, in the Clone Saga in the 90s, um, 
didn't that clone actually live after all, or what was it? Uh... Well, this this was you know this was long before anybody actually thought about the idea of bringing the clone back. So right, I was almost hesitant to to bring this up because you know the spider clone thing has become such a dirty word you know for fandom and everything. But this you got to remember this was years before all that. Mm-hmm. So this was going off the idea of in the original clone saga where Professor Warren had cloned Peter and everything, and then there was that whole story where. At the end of it, Peter was trying to do the science to figure out, was he the clone or, or was the clone the, the one that had died? And at the end of it, he's like, ah, screw it. I don't really care. It, this is that story. So in that story, the clone didn't die. And long story short, at the end of the story, they're both alive. And they both decide to basically be brothers and to kind of share the mantle of Spider-Man. And I really liked it. I need to reread it because I'm a little fuzzy on... Uh, you know the finer details of the rest of the story, but I just I that that ending always really uh, stuck with me. That you know it was one of the few stories, and it was one of the few Spider-Man stories for that matter that that ended positively. You know where actually things looked like they were actually looking up for Peter Parker, and and it wasn't a, a dark ending. Uh, what if story? You know where it's a good thing that the story went the way it really did in the Marvel Universe, because, man, you know, this character's life would suck, or they'd be dead, or they'd be horribly mutilated, or whatever, you know, if if it had gone this, whatever the what-if story was. And this was one of the few that didn't go that way. I really like that. Of course, this way they had to share Mary Jane. <laughs> well, that was long before Mary Jane, too. I get that- it tonight. I think the I often have wondered if the intent with that story was to maybe do a, a, a sort of even maybe even subconsciously to sort of do a riff on um, Superman Red, Superman Blue, because that was kind of the way mm-hmm. that story ended, too, where, you know, it's kind of happy ending and, you know, everybody gets what they want. You know, Lana gets a Superman and Lois gets a Superman and Superman. Hey, he gets two women. So, you know, it's on a Superman train. Oh, wait, that sounded <laughs> kind of dirty. Sorry. <laughs> Mary Jane train. Okay, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Getting way off there. But we digress. Well, speaking of digressing, uh, there was, do you guys remember the last, I think it was volume two of What If, the like the last, like it, the one that, the series had had over 100 I- issues. Wasn't like one of the last stories they had in there? What, ha- um, what if the heroes never left the Beyonders world and then they talks about like 25 years later, they, the kids, the children that yes. they had. Yeah, that was actually not bad. Yeah, it was. I don't remember that ending like, what dark if the either. Secret Wars never ended, or something like that. Or yeah, like, and then certain people hooked up and had children, and and yeah, yeah. It, it's been a long time since I've read that. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, though. That might be some good back to the bins fodder. Well, I was thinking, you know, if we if we want to continue uh, to have, you know, like theme months from time to time, or even you know theme weeks or whatever, that might be a good good topic to do sometime do like a, a what if theme like a what if in an else world yeah hmm. maybe maybe alternate maybe alternate for a month like one week is all what ifs and oh, the next okay. week is all you know else worlds and then the next week's what ifs again you know, i don't know something is there any Let's indie say. titles that have done i guess yeah you could do some the only ones i can think of off the top of my head were those else or not else worlds uh, what do you call them the um the Star Wars ones. What were oh, they called? The Infinities. Uh, Infinities, yeah. But we, I mean, we did those on, on Two True Freaks. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we could always touch on it, you know, in a completely, you know, more of a comic book, you know, hmm. way. I would think that there are some for licensed properties. That yeah. are, there are kind of Elseworld versions of them in the, well, we've uh, got the newer, in, in the indie world. They've got, well, kind of like a continuation of uh, 
didn't they just release like the Bionic Man season six in comics? Yeah, yeah, I haven't read any of that yet. That's not really back to the bins. They're not that old, so I don't know. No, but on theme months, well, that's, that's true. We that's make true the theme. rules. Of course, on non-theme months, we make the rules. <laughs> you make the call. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll stop tan- tangenting and we'll get on to our last email. Scott, take it away. All right. So this last one, the subject is back to the bins number one sixty-five, Avengers Spotlight, and this one is by. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. But the name here is Kirk, and I'm going to pronounce it Gruneveld. Gruneveld. Kirk, write in and let let us know what the pronunciation is because I really hate it when I mispronounce. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say I think Groenveld. Groenveld? Could be. So the body of this one says, guys, this is I was very interested to see what you had to say about the what if issue. What if the Avengers had never been? but was quite dismayed by the seeming lack of structure to the show. In fact, I listened for 45 minutes as I commuted to work and found that more than the first 20 minutes were wasted in meaningless ramblings, in-jokes, and lack of focus. Isn't that every episode? (laughs) (laughs) True, there was one uh, heartfelt plea for support for pancreatic cancer research, but then later in the show, you undercut that message by joking about poor eating habits and gaining back all the weight lost in recent surgery. I was appalled. Oh, that was me. Sorry. If this was my... I'm sorry? It's, as Bill, Bill said that was him, as if I wasn't joining in the joke. <laughs> if this was my first introduction to your show, I would not come back. Even though you did hit some emails uh, before getting around to your featured two Avengers books, you continually apologize for never getting around to doing part two of Under Siege, something that might have been of interest to those of us first discovering or trying your podcast. Hate to bust your chops, guys, but this was a true... Uh, this was... A, this was truly, I'm sorry, I can't read. This was truly a subpar show. Low marks. And he didn't even sign the email at the bottom. That's harsh. Well, um, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to start off by saying thank you, Kirk. I appreciate criticism. Uh, I, I appreciate compliments even more. But, but uh, I, I, I don't mind criticism because I'd like to know what people are really thinking. And I don't think your email was taking unfair shots at us or anything like that. It was written in a respectful way, so I don't have any problem with the fact that you criticized us. Uh, that said, when we, you know, when I when I do hear any criticism, and usually most criticism is kind of us among ourselves criticizing, hey, we could have done this better, we could have done that better. Uh, I usually, usually I try to use it in a way to to do the show better. Uh, to be quite honest with you, as I see this, and I don't know how Bill and Scott are gonna, if they're gonna see it the same way. But I think as the show is currently constructed, part of the appeal of it is that we joke around and we have fun together. And it does make us lose focus sometimes, but I think it makes it a more enjoyable listen sometimes as well. And I think it keeps it from being boring. So as much as I want to learn from your criticism and do better, I don't want to try so hard to do so that we start gutting the show and and taking out what makes it fun. So I will... You know, I will take your criticism to heart. I will try to be a little bit more structured with the show, but I don't know that we're going to change things dramatically. I hope you enjoy the show enough to keep on listening, though. I do feel that I might have been a little off that show, and I edited that show. So, I mean, the same as Paul, I I don't think we're really going to change. I mean, yes, sometimes I could stand to be a little more structured, 
in a lot of things in life, in work, <laughs> and the show. But one thing in the show that, like you said, if if we just did the show and came on and we just did a straightforward, this is what this is about, this is what this is about, and there was no fun to it, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't be here. Because, you know, doing the show is one of the fun things I do in the rest of my life that is mundane other than my family and I consider you guys part of my family and I like to cut up and laugh around and you know we don't get to talk to each other all the time so granted we do sometimes go off on tangents and maybe we need to cut some of those other tangents out you'd be surprised we cut a lot of stuff out of these shows that doesn't even make it <laughs> you think this is bad <laughs> yeah I mean if we we put what the last time we were on were we on for three hours and I'm sure that show will get cut down you know, so yeah, it's, when it's cut down, it'll end up being between an hour and a half and two hours, probably. Yeah. So, I mean, but but so, sometimes we feel there's a lot that, you know, maybe somebody would like to hear this because we thought it was a little funny. It may not exactly lo- go in with everything we're saying, but it was kind of like a funny little conversation that maybe we thought somebody liked to see behind the mirror, behind the mirror, behind the curtain. So, uh, I mean, we could probably tend to tighten up a little bit and maybe we should. So. Uh, we'll see how I edit this. Uh, I know, Scott, you weren't on the show, and you haven't had a chance to listen to that particular show, so I'm not sure if you have anything to add. I do. Um, I kind of wanted to dissect the email itself, because I think I know what what Kirk's going for here. I don't think he means this mean-spirited at all. I think he means it as constructive criticism, so I kind of want to try to take it that way. Which I oh yes, yeah, I didn't yeah, I, I didn't mean to be. I don't know if I came off as sounding. I didn't. I don't mean to sound mad or or angry or anything. I, you know. All right, I'll shut up now. Well, I know. You know, in his very first sentence here, it says, you know, that he was interested to see what you guys had to say about this particular issue. Um, but then he says he was dismayed at the seeming lack of the structure of the show. I think therein may lay the, you know, maybe the problem for this particular one is that, you know, the show in this case is called Avengers Spotlight. So in theory, you know, definitely for Kirk, he's tuning in specifically to listen to, you know, this spotlight. And spotlight to me has a certain connotation. It means you're, 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 you know, you're shining a light on something, you're focusing on something. So maybe when in those particular shows, some of the the tangenting, some of the the comedic, you know, intro bits and things like that get toned down a little bit because you are narrowing the focus. You know what I mean? And and you're 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 spotlighting. Um, also, here he says, you know, that he listens. Uh, you know, the whole thing about you know his commute to work and uh, over twenty minutes at the beginning were wasted, um, meaningless ramblings. I would take a lot of issue with that again if it wasn't. A, if it was not directed at a spotlight episode, you know, if it was directed at a regular episode, I'd be like, have you listened to back to the bins before? But I think when he's talking about a spotlight episode, I think he has a valid point because again, when you're listening for a, a particular focus, then yeah, that could be very distracting. And I'll be honest with you. I've listened to a lot of shows, you know, both Back to the Bins and a lot of other shows where sometimes I find myself kind of making that motion in the, you know, that circular motion in the air, like, let's, you know, pick up the, t- like, come on already, you know, quit screwing around and get to whatever the point is. So I expect that from time to time, listeners probably do that too. Um, I, I can't address the whole thing about, you know, joking about the, you know, the rest, what he's talking about with the, 
with the weight loss and all that. Um, I do because this show means a lot to me personally. You know, I, I've been here for as many of the episodes as I possibly can. I was here, you know, since the beginning, and the show's changed a lot. We were talking about this before the, you know, before we started recording and everything. But I, I do have a strong emotional investment in this show, so I, I do take criticism like this to heart, looking for ways to make the show better and to try to appeal to as broad a base as possible. It's impossible to please all of the people all of the time. But I want to do my best to make sure that we always do. So it pains me what Kirk says here, that if this was the first episode, he probably wouldn't have come back. I, that's something you never want to hear from a listener. But hopefully it's something that the three of us can, can look at the things he's pointed out here and go, well, OK, this is a learning opportunity. Let's see how we can turn this around in the future and not let these things happen again. And I find it very ironic that I had no concept of this email before we sat down to record, but just the last time we talked, I gave you guys, you know, I shared with you a great tool that I've just discovered for editing that I think is actually going to address a lot of the issues that I've had with the show lately, which is, I'm trying to think of how to put this kindly because I don't want either of you guys to get pissed at me for saying this, but sometimes the show kind of drags a little bit. And it drags in the sense that sometimes there's moments when we're talking to each other where we just kind of, okay, that was the end of that conversation. And then you kind of struggle for, all right, let's, how do we pick this back up and continue forward? And with the tool that, that I discovered and I shared with you guys, I think that'll eliminate a lot of that because then you don't have dead air because dead air to me is like, as the, as podcasting has gone on for me has become one of those things I'm continually more and more and more aware of all the time. It's become that raw nerve. You know what I mean? To where when I hear dead air in anybody's show, whether it's something I'm associated with or not, it makes me nuts. It's like, why the hell didn't you edit that out? And I think that, you know, the way that we can use this tool now for editing will take a lot of that out. And so the shows should flow a lot better they should feel a little more natural even though the conversation is kind of unnatural because there won't really be any pauses at all if you know what i mean but it'll make the flow better and to me it, it really becomes it's all about flow you know and of course carrying the conversation <laughs> kiss my grits but uh uh you know all I can say is I, I understand all the criticism, but criticism makes the baby Jesus cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I take it to heart, too, and I understand what you're saying, Scott, and I understand. I think I understand what Kurt's saying. And, and like I said, though, I, I don't want it to become so structured that we stop having fun. No, because no, no. I don't think that's if that happens. Saying, then I think we, you know, there's no point in doing it. No, I don't want it to be that way either. But at the same rate, I, I think uh, structure is good. I was going to say some structure. I think we have some structure. I think we could be a little more structured, and I think that's probably what Kirk's uh, looking for as well. I, I again, I think the real. Uh, the real hinge for this particular email, at least the thing I'm focusing on, is the fact that this was a spotlight episode. I, I think that's ultimately what the issue is in, in this instance. Kirk, again, I hope you're still listening to the show. Please feel free to write in and, and elaborate. You know, if I've got it you're done wrong, then please write in and say, no, I wish all your shows were. Let us know, you know, ha have we got it right? Have we got it wrong? What do you think? And, uh, you know, let's, you know, continue to give us feedback because. 
you know, the only way you can ever improve is when people sometimes, you know, they, they, you know, practice the tough love and tell you, hey, you know, you need to do this better. You need to do that better. If every single email that ever writes in is just, you guys are awesome. Don't change a thing. Well, you know, that's great, but you don't learn that way. You, it's, it's the people that, you know, maybe have tuned in one time and said, that sucked. And then they never bothered to write and they just tune out. I, I'm as painful as it can be to get things like this. I'd much rather the Kirks that are out there write in to say, you know, this is what I really didn't dig about this rather than just go, well, I'm never listening again. You know what I mean? Because you don't learn anything that way. It just your numbers drop and you don't know why. So yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and, and again, I, I, I can make light of it and all of that, but I do appreciate criticism. Most of what we've heard has been complimentary and it's nice. It, it strokes your ego, but it doesn't help you to make the show better. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, <laughs> let's move this on. We're wasting too much time here. Let's get all right. Uh, all right. Uh, because my synopsis is kind of long, but it's concise, but there's a lot going on in this book. It's long, but concise. It's like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Jumbo shrimp. All right. So why don't we get into it? Okay. All right. All right, well, now we are ready to dive back into Under Siege, and I have the last of the, the would be the penultimate issue of the Under Siege storyline, and that is issue number 276. And this was cover dated in February of 1987. It was on sale on November 11th, 1986. Cover price, 75 cents. And all of this comes to you by courtesy of Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And uh, on our cover, our cover is by John Buscema and inker Tom Palmer, and is a bearded Thor in his classic costume, fists clenched and Majolner at the ready, as he leads Captain America, Captain Marvel, the Monica Rambeau Captain, the Black Knight, and... Uh, can somebody get Dr. Druid out of here, please? <sighs> anyway, they are pissed off and ready for action, as the cover states, Masters of Evil Beware. And the storyline, the the, uh, the the story, the story title is Revenge. Writer Roger Stern, penciler again, John Buscema, inker Tom Palmer, letterer James R. Novak, colorist Juliana Ferreter, editor Mark Grunwald, and editor in chief head honcho numero uno Jim Shooter. The Wasp Ant Ant-Man, the non-slappy one, recapped the story so far to a police officer in the emergency wing of New Hope Memorial Hospital as Hercules clings to life on a bed in the background. A group called the Masters of Evil have taken over the Avengers Mansion, holding hostages and beating the crap out of Hercules. Two of the group, Absorbing Man and Titania, Titania? Titina? Titiana? Titiana? Nadia Komenich? Anyone? Anyone? Had come to finish off the Olympian demigod. Janet and Scott Lang were able to turn them away. Now that Herc is stable, Janet grabs Scott and they rush off to go for help. Help is needed indeed, as within the dark forced and case mansion, the bound and gag pair of Steve Rogers, Captain America, and Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, can only watch in horror as the brutal Mr. Hyde tortures and beats the faithful butler Jarvis. Dane struggles to call his mystical ebony blade to him, but it, along with Cap's shield, are bound in an energy field. Outside, the army is at a loss as to what, to, what action to take. Armored assault? Aerial bombing in Midtown Manhattan? Yikes! Jan convinces Colonel Jordan, the Douglas MacArthur pipe-smoking leader of the operation, to hold off and give the remaining Avengers a crack at it. Scott Lang sets up some radio gear, and Jan begins calling in the reserves, starting with Sigurd Jarlson. Uh, yeah, you free, Sigurd Jarlson. I'm not at home right now, so please leave a message, and I'll get my owner back here. Thor's current 
secret identity. She leaves a message and ponders what has happened to Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is still trapped in the Dark Force dimension where Blackout had placed her at Baron Zemo's order. She sees a flicker of light once again and this time speeds toward it. She makes it out of the dimension, finding herself on a pier in San Francisco with the vigilante hero The Shroud confronting a ne'er-do-well. Her distraction allows The Shroud to subdue the criminal and help Monica to her feet. Apparently, The Shroud tapped into the same dimension as Blackout and provided her with an exit. She is now able to head back to the Avengers Mansion in New York. Back in New York? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do, do I have to cover Dr. Druid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> back in New York, a middle-aged, paunchy, balding Anthony Druid watches a TV report <laughs> concerning Avengers Mansion. He has a buzzing in his head. Using his awesome... It's a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> Using his awesome mental powers... He sees an image of the Black Knight being held captive. He rushes out of the room, away from his befuddled agent, and comes out in a red onesie and a big purple cloak. Enough said for now. What are you jammies? I think that's the uh, long thermals. Yeah, exactly. He's got his he's got his footy jammies and his purple snuggie. Enough it's, said. It's probably got the little trap door on the back. <laughs> his long johns. <sighs> Things are not looking well for Jan and Scott as they have not been able to muster any help. They prepare to go it alone when Captain Marvel returns from California and Thor 2 has a timely arrival. They ready themselves to re-enter the mansion. Inside, Moonstone, I'm looking over a Moonstone, 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 is still trying to sweet-talk Blackout but to no avail and the Wrecking Crew plus Goliath are doing a little interior redecorating smashing. Mr. Hyde is still taunting the bound heroes with the torture of Jarvis, while Baron Zemo, Fixer, and Yellowjacket scrounge for computer disks and data. Suddenly, the power goes out inside, and darkness is everywhere. However, now that the power is down, so is the containment field that held the Ebony Blade, and the lovely Yellowjacket notices it is missing. Not too far away, said owner of the Blade has freed himself, and he, along with Captain America, have had quite enough of Mr. Hyde's shit. It's payback time as Hyde gets a taste of his own medicine. In the darkness, Dane is able to cause Hyde to trip into a wall or two and a few well-paced punches straight to the right to the kisser by Cap and the Knight. Suddenly, up from the floor bursts Captain Marvel and the rest of the Avengers. Jan blasts Hyde in the eyes and he stumbles headfirst into Thor, which knocks him out like a light. Thor says he is fine, but the way he gritted his teeth when saying it has Scott wondering. Captain America now holds the beaten and broken body of Edwin Jarvis as Thor vows that not not only Hyde, but Zemo will pay as well. The shrunken yellow jacket nearby was watching all of this and reports back to Zemo. Zemo decides it's time to get the F out of Dodge and leave the rest to fend for themselves. Yellow jacket starts to have some doubts about Zemo. You think? Outside, Dr. Oh, God, Dr. Druid, come on. Again? Stupid, stupid Druid. Outside, Druid uses the mental whammy on Blackout to get him to drop the Dark Force Cube. Dr. Dos Ex Machina, if you ask me. Back inside, the Fixer is trying to fix the generator and realizes that it had been turned off manually. Duh! It gets cold cocked by Ant-Man. Oh, sorry, wrong Ant-Man. <laughs> the heroes <laughs> decide that they have to get Jarvis out, and soon... But, the, but they can only go out of the front because moving him through the tunnel they came in is way too dangerous. They will have to fight their way out. 
Captain Marvel returns from a reconnoiter. See, that's a that's an English-like word there. I think Andy will like that. Stating that there is plenty of trouble waiting on the first floor. Captain America heads straight into the ambush, but the Sentinel of Liberty is ready, as is he was but a distraction for Thor to use his hammer to suck the power out of the wrecking crew and into the wrecker. Ew. Knocking them unconscious. Before he can drain the wrecker, though, he is yanked off his feet by Goliath. Swinging the Thunder God around by his cape, he means to go 2-0 against gods. Back outside. Oh, for the love, jeez. Oh, yeah. Dr. Machina levitates to the roof of the mansion to see Captain Marvel confront Blackout and Moonstone. Moonstone takes the disguise to get away. Monica Judo chops Blackout, and he blacks out uh, and he blacks out while Dr. Deuce watches on. <sighs> All right. Moonstone, while, has been tracked down by uh, tracked down already by Marvel. Well, God, she only travels at the speed of light. In her desperate need to escape, Moonstone plows headfirst into a cliff. And crack! Down goes Frasier! Down goes Frasier! Zemo, back at the mansion, has reached the roof and is preparing to leave when he finds Dewey the Druid up there with Blackout. He shoots Druid. Yes! Yes! <laughs> Go, Zemo! Oh, God, I can't believe I'm cheering for Baron Zemo. Zemo helps a groggy Blackout to his feet. Back at the cliff, Moonstone laughs about losing control of everything, including Blackout. Monica, Captain, Captain Marvel, realizes that Zemo is the one pulling Blackout strings as back at the mansion, back on the mansion roof, Zemo tells Blackout to send the mansion and everyone into the cornfield dimension. I mean the Dark Fear, the Dark Force dimension. Next issue, The Price of Victory. Ah, oh, Dr. Druid. <laughs> who, who had the bright idea that Dr. Druid would be a draw for people to read the Avengers? Uh, balding, middle-aged, paunchy men? <laughs> I mean, really, they actually made him a member of this team at one time. For a while. Not long after this, right? Yeah. I think immediately after this. Yeah. Because he does so much to help him out in this story. Well, he did get shot in the back. <laughs> yeah. I just um, wish it was more permanent. It was just a needle gun. <laughs> so how are we going on the notes on this one? Are we taking turns, or how do you want to do this? Uh, do we want to do a page by page, or just like, should we talk about the cover first? Let's just talk about the cover a little bit. Sure. It's pretty plain in the background with like the zipatone dots with the different shading, but I mean, I like the poses of the heroes coming forward, and Thor it looks pretty ticked off, and he's this is this is the bearded Thor, not the uh, the clean shaven Thor. This isn't Thor with the zipper in the front of his tunic. <laughs> And we've got Captain America that looks a little Chinese, but uh, it could just be because he's further back. Captain Asia. <laughs> Captain Asia. <laughs> you think that's A on my head is for... Oh, yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> why Why in the upper box is Submariner's little flathead in there? <laughs> well, because uh, he was in the team prior to this, but then was this when Mar Marina went nutso? Was that so, prior so to this? What they said was Submariner's on the team. We're ready to write what... Some would argue is the greatest story ever in the history of the book. Eh, leave him out. <laughs> yeah, he was busy. Well, he something happened just prior to this. Um, I'm trying to remember why he left. There was some conflict in the team, or something was going on. Oh yeah, well, I'm trying to remember because this is not long after that issue where where he and Herc have it out on the beach. Right, that was the issue right before the storyline started. I think. Where yeah, I think it was. It yeah, yeah. 
but I can't remember why he left. I, I want to say that you could be right that he may have left because that had something to do with uh, Marina or Marina or whatever her name is. From, I think it had uh, something to do Alpha with Flight. Yeah. Atuma. Atuma. It's not it's a tuma. not a tuma. <laughs> it was that uh, there was that other uh, another one that... of his villains would like. Tirak or something like that. Krang. Has that joke been made yet with a Tuma in a Marvel comic? Because somebody really needs to pick that up at some not point. A tuma. It's it, not it a Tuma. It has to. I you can't believe it. By now. Yeah. Oh, how about that snazzy Doctor Druid costume? What was it you were gonna call it? Snuggy. Yeah, he's got the snuggy with the onesie on underneath. <laughs> He does. He looks like he has red long johns. I, I do imagine now that now that Paul has said that, I can't get that image out of my head of him with his ass cheeks hanging out of the flap in the back of the thing. Thanks a lot, Paul. That's why he's wearing the snuggie, so you don't see his ass cheeks hanging out. You can never unsee it now. God, what a lame ass! Co- you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cosplay as this guy at the next convention. That's all I need is red long johns and a snuggie, and I'm good to go. Who are you, Doctor Druid? Who? Doctor Druid? Who? Yeah, exactly. Not Doctor. Not Doctor Whoid, Doctor Druid. You watch this guy will be the next thing. Well, yeah, I mean, we never, we ne- could never see Groot coming as a as a movie star. Doctor Druid will be in one of the one of the movies down the road. You who, watch. Who would they Who would they get to play Doctor Druid if there was an Avengers movie and and Doctor Druid was 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 cast? Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> I was thinking of the guy uh, Major Winchester from Mesh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what's his name? Uh, uh, yeah, he would be perfect. Oh my God. David Ogden Steve. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. While he's waiting for a callback for the Martian Manhunter, he can uh, he can play Doctor Druid. I'm Doctor Druid. <laughs> no, no. That's a good call. Yep, I could see that. No. I like the layout of the cover since that's what we started off here discussing. Mm-hmm. I do think we're at the point here where John Buscema is kind of towards the end of the road. His layouts are still really good, but his his detail work is lacking. You think Palmer picked up some of the slack in this? I was just going to say what what yeah, I I definitely do because one of the things that really appeals to me for this era of the Avengers is this is Palmer literally just off Star Wars, mm-hmm. which I think is some of the best stuff he ever did. And he's really keeping that same feel. So much the same way that Palmer was the glue, you know, artistically for Star Wars that that lent it a consistent look for, you know, say like the second half of, of the 107 issues of Star Wars. You know, for the most part, he was there for, for pretty much all of it, right? So toward the end he finally left uh to do this to do avengers so while this would change artists not near as frequently as star wars did it did change hands quite a few times but it was palmer who again was there for a hell of a long run on the avengers that lent it a visual consistency from artist to artist and i really appreciate that there's there's some artists or excuse me there's some inkers that when they're stronger than the penciler, when they're when they're a little bit, you know, overpowering of the penciler, that I really resent that. But Palmer's not one of them. I will concede that he does frequently overpower his pencilers, but I think it's always to the benefit. Really, I, I think he does what a what a truly great inker should do, which is take what's there and add something awesome to it and and give it a visual consistency. And he does that. I think Palmer's a hell of an inker. And, well, because, and 
Cause I he, agree. I don't think he overpowers Buscema in this style. I think he complements him. I, well, I don't think he changed the style. I think this is Buscema's style. And and I think Palmer added his own style to it. But I don't think he's overpowering it. I think he's really... what. I think this is the point in Buscema's career where, like I said, his detail work wasn't that great anymore. Right. His layouts were still pretty strong. He did the layouts, and Palmer took that and ran with it. If you look, there's a lot of panels where there's really no background. Well, right. you know, now that I'm looking back at the credits box, it does say that Buscema just did breakdowns. So maybe he was doing just a loose, like, layout type of thing, and, and Palmer was just... So, yeah, maybe overpowering was... was I was prepared to, to defend my my words at overpowering, but, you know, I, I think you make a valid point. And, uh, like I say, looking back and seeing that it's breakdowns, yeah, I, I could be wrong. I, maybe overpowering was not the correct word to use. Well, but no. I do think it, it's... I love it. I, I think oh, the yeah. look of it is just fantastic. Well, I, I don't Palmer, think any of our disagreement is oh, about yeah. quality. I think we agree totally on that. Now, Palmer inked over Simonson on Star Wars 2, right? Yeah. yeah he I, I think so. Him, he inked over uh, the, the particular uh, art team that I really liked, uh, or you know, the artist that he was teamed up with. I liked when he was teamed up with Ron Friends. And I still... I see a lot of that in this, even though friends had nothing at all to do with this. I can see where Palmer has just come off inking friends. And so this in certain aspects has a bit of that influence in it. I think anyway, and I I think it's just the better for it. Which book did they do together? Who friends and Palmer? Yeah. Star Star Wars. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. That was friends. Sorry. I was okay. Mm -hmm. I forgot. Oops. Because Friends was one of the last artists right before um, Cynthia Martin became right. the regular. And I think, to my memory, I think Palmer only did one issue over Martin before he left, I mm. think. So, like, when I wish I could be a good artist, I guess I'm thinking, why can't we be friends? <laughs> that was uh... horrible. Yeah, I know, but I just couldn't I couldn't let that just keep rolling in my mind without saying it. <laughs> well, I like at the beginning we get a quick recap. You know, every every comic is somebody's first comic, so we get the quick recap as to how we got here. Took over the mansion. Uh, Nadia Kokomanich and the Absorbing Man came in and tried to kill Hercules. How do you say that? Titania, Tatiana. I've always said t- Titania. Titania. Yeah. yeah, that's what I've said. Titania. Titania. Yeah, she's hot. <laughs> You know, she's got a big smoke cloud in her face in this book. You can't really see her. Absorbing Man. Oh, did anybody watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I guess we can't talk about it then. Damn. I can I can walk away for a minute if you guys want to talk. Mute yourself. That doesn't help what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say I... Well, what did you think about the... We won't do any plot points. What did you think about the effects of the Absorbing Man? I thought it was awesome. Did you see... I, did you I have become it? a big fan of that show, and it's funny because, you know, I, I was actually one of the the big critics. But the funny thing is, is you know, I it was one of these instances where I'm fully prepared to eat my words. I just didn't give it enough of a shot. I think the first two episodes, which has turned out that's all I had seen. I thought I had seen the first three episodes of the first season, and it turns out when I did my rewatch, I'd only seen the first two. I think the first two episodes were really weak. But if you stick with it, once it gains its its feet and its momentum, I thought it was a hell of a ride. And by the time it was over, I was like, oh, that's all there is. 
So I've been dying for this second season to start, and uh, and I just watched the uh, the first episode yesterday, and uh, and loved it. I thought it was great. I really really enjoyed it. I thought the uh, the absorbing in was really well done. Did you see it was where a you beautiful little and, yeah. The ball I was chain. Say, yeah, I was going to say I, I didn't want to spoil it for Paul, but I was going to say yeah, there was a beautiful little nod to you know to his comic book uh, look and everything. I, I thought it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's there's some other stuff in the very beginning, but I guess we can't say because Paul hasn't seen it. Well, there's a we'll lot see more by the action. Next time we record. Okay. Yeah, there's there's so much more action. I, I think everything was a little bit tighter. I think they're going to go a little darker and a little moodier, and I think that they are. Not that I think they've ever shied away from it. And one of the criticisms I, I kept hearing of the show is that there wasn't, it didn't feel enough like Marvel. It didn't feel enough like, you know, there wasn't enough comic booky stuff. Well, that's coming from people that obviously don't know their Marvel Comics history very well because it was chock full of Easter eggs and things. But I think it's going to be a little more in your face this second season with giving you things that even the most cursory Marvel fan will go, okay, absorbing man. I've seen comics with this guy. Whereas mm-hmm. some of the other ones in the first season were a little more obscure, you know, that you, you kind of had to hunt for things. Cause the thing I really liked was at the end of every episode, they would give acknowledgements to the comic book creators that had given ideas that were used in those particular episodes. And I found myself often looking at some of the names and going, why the hell are they thinking so-and-so and really having to like go through my comic book brain to, f- to figure out, okay, what element was in this show that so-and-so contributed from the comics. And I found that a really fun game. And I know if I was doing that, then the casual observer, you know, it would just go right over their head and they might not ever have caught. Yeah. Cause they name drop the- things all through. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, just like a ca- casual mention here, a casual mention there, like yep. just, someone's name or a location and that yeah that's always fun to try to catch yeah there was some stuff the at the very beginning let's say that was in a crate but i don't know if you caught it i saw it online later but we'll we'll talk about it next time we record <laughs> next so, time next time we don't want to spoil paul when he, he needs to catch up and watch agents of shield so back to the book so um how about the brutal beating of jarvis and cap and and uh black knight are just tied up having to look on and uh Hyde is just going to town I, I'm, I find it hard to believe that someone with the strength level of Mr. Hyde didn't just kill him continuously outright continuously pound on a normal man yeah but he's probably holding back he'd just, have to because he'd yeah, be well, dead yeah. yeah I mean yeah he, he would be dead right away he's probably just you know hurting him enough well he is a doctor and <laughs> Dr. Jekyll? Dr. Jekyll? Doctor of Pain. Dr. Pain. But, uh... And we have our Douglas MacArthur, uh... <laughs> yeah, I like that. He's got the pipe. The pipe. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna call in an aerial assault. What? <laughs> in the middle of Manhattan? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> the Thor answering machine? See, that's where I want them to get the the mayor from uh, from Godzilla '98 to come in and scream at them. You caused more damage than that goddamn thing did. I love that line. <laughs> that's my favorite line in the entire movie. And we uh, got that was like, the conversation killer. Uh, tried to pick it up, but uh, that's right. I'm sorry. Well, then we get the shroud, <laughs> which I think the last time the shroud was seen in Avengers, like 238, it's it's reference no 241, uh, where they met. But the shroud had been was I don't was West Coast Avengers established at this time? 
Oh, yeah. I, I think they had just launched, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they did, because I've been reading through this era of Avengers, and that's actually where I stalled out was when I got to uh, if West I Coast read... Avengers Annual Number 1, which has just been an awful slog for me to mm. get through, I have to admit. Well, I, I believe they... I think they asked the Shroud, but he was too... I think he didn't want to join the team, if I remember correctly. He wanted, right. to, stay, he wanted to stay on the dark side of the law. So this was one of my notes was about the Shroud. That, uh, I, I just made a note here that I really dig this character. But whatever happened to him? Because I'm not sure. I, I know I haven't seen him in a long time. Did he die or something? I honestly don't know. I know he it's, had a miniseries in the 90s. I, I, I think I have that miniseries, too. Yeah, I, don't I have know. it, too, or at least issues of it. I don't know that I've ever read it, but it's, maybe I need to. Maybe that will answer my question. I don't it's, know. it's shrouded in mystery. Boo. Dead air. Good old, good old Dr. Druid. Ugh. Staring at the TV. Hmm. My head we is. Just, we should have just gone page per page and, and each of us given our notes here because I've I've re, I've talked myself out of interjecting so many times because I'm following along with you, but I notice you're going page per page as well. Well, jump in, jump in. Don't don't let me dominate. Uh, well, going back a, pa- a couple of pages here to page three, it was, I thought for sure this is where Paul was going to go with this when he started to say, "I can't believe that someone with a strength level." Page three, first panel. Um, I can't believe that Captain America can't either sneak out or bust out of these ropes. What the hell is that? They're He's Captain Nancy- friggin' America. He, he like fought his way through Nazi Germany and stuff. He never learned how to escape from being tied up. Yeah, even, even Indiana Jones would get out of that one. Yeah, I mean... I don't know, that's a pretty big gag. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is, what, what is it? It's like, a, they look like bandits. They're going to rob someplace. I mean, why do you have to have to cover the hole that the... From the neck to the bottom of his nose. I mean, couldn't just a regular ball gag, you know? The gimp. The gimp. Well, he's got the whole costume. He looks like the gimp, kind of. Page four, that bottom panel. Now, Jan uh, Janet Van Dyne calls up Sigurd Jarlson with a phone big enough to choke a horse, leaves a message on his answering machine saying, Thor, this is the Wasp. So if uh, Sigurd Jarlson's maid checks the answering machine, she's just completely blown his secret identity. Good job. Uh, well, then I guess there'll be one less maid in Manhattan. <laughs> just shoot her like an murder soldier. Um, page seven, I have, the, <laughs> I have the same note that... Uh, actually, I wrote this on several pages, but I'm sure this is the same note that you have as well, uh, Bill. Um, Dr. Druid sucks. I just wrote that on every single page he appeared on. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I just couldn't find any redeeming qualities for this guy whatsoever. Look at that physique when he's taking off his suit jacket. <laughs> I think I look like that. <laughs> it's like there you go. You can cosplay as Doctor Druid. Cosplay Doctor Druid. Yeah, great. <laughs> shaving head. Shaving my head. All I got's my hair, man. You should get. Go. You should get the shittiest. Uh, what do they call it? Skull cap. The shittiest skull cap, and just let your let your sideburns poke out of it at the side. <laughs> get yourself some Klingon eyebrows and a and a Klingon. He, he does. He looks like an old. In that first panel on or second panel rather on page seven, doesn't he look like uh, a bald Klingon? Yeah. Well, he looks like that one from the old series. There. Which one was it? Kang? Not Kang. Koloth. Koloth. Yeah. Doesn't he? What oh, what was that actor's name? Uh, Koloth. Uh, 
the the Greek uh, the, actor, the, the guy yeah. from Battlestar Galactica, John Kolokos. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Yeah, yep. Uh, yep. What else have I got? Who's who's his little manservant there? <laughs> he makes Wong look macho. That's that's Henshaw. Henshaw. That's his, that name. his name. My appointments will have to be oh, yes. Henshaw. Every word. Some Henshaw. things are more important than promoting my new book, <laughs> including oh, putting on my pajamas and going outside. Doctor Druid, Man Among Men. What's his new book? That's what it is, Doctor Druid, Man Among Men. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look how big he looks in that little chair. <laughs> it's his wife's chair. Can't be comfortable. He looks like he's pouting. You'll go, well, look, well, well, look at this. That TV is like so far away from it. He's squinting to look at it. All it has is a big black cube on it. Funny if he went to the wrong place. Look how he towers over his assistant, too. He comes out, he's like a full head taller than him. Uh, anyway. Little Henshaw. Little Henchman. The Druid Henchman. I do love when Thor shows up, though, on the next page. Because whenever short Thor shows up, and when they do it right, like they do in this one, it, it's kind of like when Superman would show up when the when the Justice League was, like, really in this shit. So, now, like... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I just, I like that. I think that's cool. Now, there's a note that says, the story plays place between pages 5 and 7 of Thor 373. I couldn't find my copy um, of that. I have it somewhere, but I can't get to my boxes because I'm moving around the garage. And But I know this was at the point where had he been cursed with Hela's curse, which is what we see later on in the book. No, that's but, when he has to wear the armor, though. Yeah, but he's not wearing it here yet. I he's mean, not I, wearing it yet, but I think that was coming. I think that was just down the road for him. Because basically, wasn't that his body wouldn't heal? It was either that his body wouldn't... Yeah, I think that's what it was, and I think he ends up getting... Something happens to him where like he gets all busted up inside, and I think that's why he goes to the armor. Because the armor's basically keeping him from just being a puddle of jelly on the ground. Which I think is actually what happens at some point. He actually gets... I think, doesn't he go up against the Destroyer? And Something it, like yeah. that, yeah. Because it's, in the, in the, it's toward the end when... Um, uh, Walt Simonson was still writing the book, but he stopped drawing it at one right. point, and then it, it became scattered. And he came back and he did like the one where Thor fought the uh, the Midgard serpent and stuff like that. But for the That's most right. part, someone else had taken over by that time. And I want to say it was one of the Busimas, if I'm I not think mistaken. Sal. I think yeah. it was Sal. Yeah, Sal Yeah. So this was right around that time. So yeah, I was trying to when you were talking about the part where uh, where Hyde smashes into thor and then uh janet thinks to herself that uh you know she saw him grit his teeth when it happened or when he said that he was fine yeah she's trying to figure out you know, why did he flinch actually that's scott because scott's standing on his shoulder oh that's who it is yeah because yeah. he's leaning yeah he's leaning against thor's helmet yeah be like get your little dirty paw off my helmet you damn dirty ant yeah it's like how uh how ray palmer would do with uh with the guys in the justice league you know, stand on their shoulder like that. But yeah, he's he says that about you know having seen uh, Floor, uh, Thor flinch, mm-hmm. and I think that's what it's about. Was that this was at a time when uh, he still had his, his powers and stuff, but he could be hurt. He could yeah. be busted up. Uh, what else did I have on this one? Oh, the whole thing here. Where uh, by the way, I love, love, love the scene of uh, Black Knight just beating the holy hell out of. Uh, Cap, Cap too, because you get it like Cap's fist comes in, and then the Black Knight's fist, and then Cap's fist right in the nose. 
Yeah. Oh, it is both of yeah. them, isn't it? I didn't yeah. even notice that before. I thought it was just Black Knight. But yeah, you're right. They both take turns pounding him, don't they? Yeah, I, I think they're going Marco Polo. Marco, wham! Polo. That's great. Yeah, I didn't notice that before. You're right. But uh, he's still got the Muppet face that we noticed in the last Yeah, yeah big time. He almost looks like a blob with hair, with long yeah. hair. Blob with hair. Yeah, you're right. He does, though. He does the old uh, ebony blade to the to the ankle trick. Smash him into the wall. Kaboom. Karung. Why did Thor not do this thing with drawing all the Asgardian power out of the Wrecking Crew years ago? That was my note. I'm like, where did he suddenly get this power from? Like, you know, I could just draw this enchantment right out of you. But he draws it out and puts it all into the Wrecker. Well, I think what it and, was, if I'm if I'm remembering my history on this, was that originally the wrecker was the one that was powered, right? And, he and then he shared his power with his men. That happened and in so, the defenders. Yeah. So essentially, what what Thor had to do was draw it out of everybody back into the wrecker, and then yeah, because he says here at the top of page eighteen, he says now he must be purged as well. So his intention was. To restore it the way it was originally enchanted with just the wrecker and then do whatever he needs to do to take it out of the wrecker as well. And he never gets that chance because then Goliath grabs him and beats the hell out of him. Yeah, you got to do your your patented Scott Gardner yoking somebody up sound effect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's blood. He grabs him by the the cape and I can just hear him go. Well, that's what they said in The Incredibles. No capes. Yep, exactly. He's lucky he didn't get sucked into a jet engine. Because then he, then he's, then Goliath has the cape by two with two hands, just swinging Thor. <laughs> just, it's just wong. <laughs> and the look on Cap's face because then Goliath says, "When I'm done with him, we'll see how tough you are without that shield of yours." And Cap's like, "Ooh." Cap looked like he just shit a brick. He's like, "What? No, <laughs> I'm next. I'm go get my shield." <laughs> Then we yeah. get Doctor Druid flying up, Ooh, levitating. Oh, but I can only levitate three stories. Get the oh Jesus! Yeah, this uh, guy. Oh, the psychic emanations. Oh, oh, this is within my levitation limits. If you can levitate yourself an inch off the ground, you can levitate yourself a mile. I'm sorry. <laughs> If it wasn't for the fact that I know that he ends up joining the team, and doesn't he even lead the team for a while? Or am I, I wrong about that? Unfortunately, I think you're right, if I remember correctly. I think he does. But I think he mentally manipulated them into that, if I uh, remember correctly. But, I mean, if it wasn't for knowing that, I would think that his appearance in this was just a, a gag or a joke or something. Because, he, I mean, there's so much space wasted in this of him coming to the scene, and then he's just shot. <laughs> that's it and i'm like okay yeah because he takes up he takes up one page with his dramatic clothes changing then he t- <laughs> then he takes up another page where he comes up to the wall touches the wall is able to mentally get in touch with black bolt that black bolt blackout and have him drop the wall and then he walks through then another pa- well that's like two-thirds of a page wasted then another page is him like a half of the page where he levitates up so he's got like four pages in this book. Right. You know, just to get shot. five, just to get shot. Good job, Dr. Dumbass. Go Zemo. <laughs> Dr. Deuce. <laughs> Dewey the Druid. Not to be confused with our, our listener, Dewey the Mailman. I'm sure he <laughs> would make an awesome Dr. Druid. <laughs> Dr. Dewey. Dr. Dewey. 
Dr. Dewey, Dr. Dewey, Dr. Dewey. What else do we got on this? Paul didn't really give much. Uh, what's going on with you, Paul? Do you have notes for this one? I, I'm, I'm working off the top of my head. I didn't actually have written notes on it. Uh, most, of what, most of what I had thought as I read it, we've hit upon, uh, and a lot of it was the Dr. Drew and how bad he was. Uh, one of the things I do like is how they do play in the fact that there are consequences to, the, to these actions. I mean, Moonstone gets messed up. Okay, well, one, she thinks she's going to hide by heading the jersey. <laughs> and it says almost, well, they they blanked it out, but it is like four letters. So I'm thinking it's an S-H-I-T. Yeah, I she does that a lot in this, West, I notice. I could lose myself in Jersey. Yeah? If Captain Marvel travels at the speed of light, I don't think you're going to go anywhere. And then she's tr- trying to get away so fast, she cracks herself right on the freaking side of, the, of a cliff. Which, is there a lot of cliffs in New York? Jersey. Over in Scott's end of the world. I thought you not saying, me. You can't swing a short stick and not hit a cliff. <laughs> I don't remember seeing a cliff ever in New York, now that you say that. Except maybe, maybe like, like Niagara yeah. Falls. It I, says yeah. at the foot of the New Jersey Palisades, so I don't know if there's okay. cliffs over there. It's where it's yeah, and by like the Delaware Water Gap. Mm. I mean, there's stuff, but, you know, it's not definitely not New York City so much. Good right. Lord, she hit the cliffs at close to 100 miles per hour. That crazy... I know she was going to say bitch right there. <laughs> it's a wonder she's still alive. Don't try to move. You may have a broken neck. Uh, 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 uh. It was the Dukes. It was the Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, of course, the last page. I think the f- other book I did, the first go-around of Under Siege, I believe I said that there was a picture where Blackout looked like Andy Leyland. <laughs> I don't know if... The- I don't think that uh, I've met Andy and I don't remember him ever wearing a mask with a lightning bolt sticking straight up <laughs> off of his forehead. I, I could be wrong. I might have missed that, but I've rarely seen him without it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Michael behind him in uh, in Baron Zemo's outfit. I want to know what he's listening to on his headphones. <laughs> he's listening to Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight. No. And criticizing our lack of focus. You need to focus. No, 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 no. Paul, be good. (laughs) Uh, Zemo wouldn't like us, I'm sure. My God, he can't focus. (laughs) But, you know, what kind of lame-ass gun is Zemo using? He's a needler. He shoots shoots him in the back. And he goes, (laughs) Why isn't he (laughs) Not not bang. (laughs) It's a dark gun. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Drew it. Maybe it's a spit mod gun. He says he had it to, to shoot Moonstone in the shoulder if he needed to. Is it like really? Moonstone super strong? Shouldn't that have like ripped right through him? Doesn't she have like a hard body? <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. I don't know. I do I like the way uh, Goliath basically starts to replay what he did to Hercules too. Swing he and a miss. It's gonna work again. Yeah. We shall see. And I guess that should that be our segue into the next book? Yes. Are we ready for the next one? Yes. Take it away, Mr. Spataro. Okay. Issue 277, March of 1987. Cover price is 75 cents. Once again, written by Roger Stern, penciled by John Buscema, inked by Tom Palmer, lettered by James Novak, uh, colored by Christy Shield. Tamaguchi? And, and oh, edited by Mark Grunewald. Cover shows Captain America and Zemo in battle among wreckage. 
with the fallen bodies of heroes and villains alike strewn about around him, including, I believe, uh, no, we don't, yeah, there's Dr. Druid, he's there, just laying there sleeping in a snuggie. Where? On the front? On the right side, just lower than Oh, there, there. Cap's stepping on his arm. Ow, ow. Yeah. He looks more so, like the Mandarin, though. <laughs> or he, he actually looks like, uh, what's his name, Namor, when Namor was, uh, was a homeless bum living in New York City just before Johnny Storm found him. That's what he looks like. I think the Wrecker looks comfortable on, on that rock, doesn't he? <laughs> he's like, he's he's like, like cuddling like, with it. Oh, he's so good. One of the things right off the bat on the cover that, that catches me a little off guard is Zemo swinging a giant like steel pole at, at Cap. So does Cap put his shield up to block it? No, he puts his bare arm up. He's got his bracers of uh, protection on. Bong! So that seems a, a little off to me right there. But otherwise, it's a pretty cool cover. Did they, like, smash through a My Little Pony store? Why are all the p- bricks pink? <laughs> but anyway, we're supposed to talk about this after you do the synopsis. I guess we'll shut up now. Okay, so the story opens up with Goliath... Uh, at giant proportions, manhandling Thor, as Cap is once again looking on. Thor, Thor whacks one of Goliath's fingers with Mjolnir and then goes on the offensive. As that goes on, the Wrecker looks to join the fight, but is confronted by Captain America, who finally decides to do something other than staring at the battle. And as this is going on, the Wasp, Black Knight, and Scott Lang are tending to an itty-bitty Jarvis, who was mercilessly, mercilessly beaten by Mr. Hyde. They hear the commotion and the Wasp starts to leave to help, but the Black Knight insists on going along as well, even though he's recovering from a pretty severe beating himself. Thor sees them, and instead of being happy that they're there to help, he starts to fear for their safety, and he basically decides that Goliath would crush them, and he holds Goliath's attention and tells them to get out and go help Captain America. At that point, Cap is pretty much outsmarting his more powerful opponent and using his own strength against him. So Cap is doing pretty well at that point. Excuse me, sorry. Zemo, uh, meanwhile, is preparing to cut his losses and leave. He comes upon Dr. Druid, and this is basically a replay of what we saw in the last issue. comes upon Dr. Druid standing over the unconscious blackout and blasts him in the back carries Blackout off, and as Zemo is attempting to get him to use the Dark Force powers to send the Avengers to the Dark Force dimension, Druid, while still laying on the ground, uses whatever power it is he has to break Zemo's control over Blackout. Meanwhile, Cap and the Wrecker are battling to a stalemate, as are Thor and Goliath. Goliath grows even further in an attempt to gain an advantage, causing structural damage to the building that was already taking a beating already and the uh, wasp uses her stingers to stagger the wrecker and cap punches him as thor knocks goliath down on top of him the wrecker kind of cries like a little girl at that point the military come into the mansion and yellow jacket surrenders very very quickly to them i was like the, the one guy by himself hut, hut, hut. Okay, cut to Captain Marvel and Moonstone, where Moonstone is still uh, laying there with a possible broken neck. We cut again to Zemo, who is meeting resistance from Blackout, which basically due to the help that uh, Druid gave him. In fighting Zemo's control, Blackout pops a cerebral blood vessel and dies. 
At this point, Zemo and uh, Druid decide to chat. They're joined by Captain Marvel, who has Zemo outclassed, but Captain America comes up and lethal weapon style decides to settle things mano a mano with Zemo. So he asks Captain Marvel to step back, and the two of them start to battle and argue, with Cap pretty much in complete control. Ultimately, Zemo lunges at Cap, losing his balance and falling over the edge of the building to his possible death. And Cap tries to save him, because Cap is, as always, a hero, but he isn't able to. And then he solemnly walks away. At this point, we have the aftermath of our entire story, where the news broadcast is kind of giving us our expositional uh, version of what went on, telling us about the possibility that Zemo is dead, but they don't know for sure, the fact that Blackout is in fact dead, and that they're going to take care of Black Knight and Jarvis. We cut back inside the mansion where Cap is grieving over his personal items that were destroyed, and normally in, in a synopsis this is where I would make some sort of snarky comment about Cap crying and trying to make it sound uh, unmanly, but I think it's well-written enough, and I think the story developed it enough that the the moment is earned, and I think it, it reads really well, so I'm not going to make fun of it at all. He talks to Captain Marvel, and she basically consoles him and says, now is the time for him to grieve, and that he's not showing weakness or selfishness in any way. And that's basically, they walk off, and that's the, the end of our story. But yeah, because, I mean, this has been, since Cap came back, this has been his home, really. Part Which of, is one of the things he talks about. Yeah. Since, since he was defrosted, he's been there, and, you know, these personal items, which include a ball autographed by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, uh, this this is, you know, all, all that he has. This is this was his life. It's gone. Well, did you mention the picture of his mother? Cause I, I didn't I, mention it, but, yeah, certainly yeah. that's... I, I I always focused on that. I mean, there we see in that great picture on uh, on page twenty one, you know that that third panel down. You know, we see him hunched over and he's holding you know something. But we see these things. You know, and it, the uh, caption here says you know that there were old magazine articles and pictures of friends and family. You know, it says now long dead and you know the baseball. And these different items, but the thing that he's holding, and the thing that I always focused on here was the picture of his mother. Because Cap says, you know, this was the only photo I ever had of my mother. She didn't like having her picture taken, and now, you know, gone, trash like everything else. And I, I, to me, that's what he was really crying about. You know, that's what what really affected him the most was while this was happening, while Zemo was doing this. He couldn't allow himself in front of Zemo to be affected, to to show that it was bothering him or that, you know, that uh, that Zemo was getting to him. He had to be strong. But now that it's all over, now he, you know, he realizes just how personal this was and what an what an awful thing was done to him by Zemo. I really like that. I, I think that more than anything else over the course of this storyline, I think that was really the, that's the moment, you know, that I, makes I, I this don't even really, think, what's that? I'm sorry. I don't even think it's that he couldn't show Zemo that it was bothering him. I think he was so focused on what was going on around him. He didn't even realize how much it was going to bother him. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because it says, it says, uh, uh, I didn't think it would hurt Monica. Zemo took pictures from my footlocker and tore them up for my eyes. And it didn't matter. Not then. The Avengers were in danger. Lives were at stake. For all I cared, Zeno might have been ripping up old train schedules 
And then that's in the same panel where he's crying, but he says, but, but now, you know, everything's now everything's he has, he could compartmentalize it in the heat of battle, but now the adrenaline's gone, the moment's gone and, and the hurt has come for him. Right. Yeah. I really like this part. I, I, that was the part that really stuck, you know, stood out to me and really sticks with me from this story. To, to me, that there's the three aspects of the story that all have equal resonance in their own way, and I agree with you, this is probably the most, but uh, the beating of Jarvis, which was kind of, to me, was something unheard of. You know, it, it was kind of an unwritten rule. Nobody would bother Jarvis. The most they do is, like, tie him up or something, except for Ultron. <laughs> but uh, that and just the fact that they took over the mansion. They destroyed the mansion, but but you know they were in there and they had total control over it right. with the events there. Like to me, that was what made this story unique. That and right. you know, well, you know what, and and I, I got to even expand on that once more is the beating of Hercules also to put him near death in the hospital in a coma, unheard of. Well, the two things that uh, that stood out to me that were followed up because I, I know that this story was referenced, you know, infrequently for quite a while, you know, quite a while after this, but the two stories that I can recall that directly spun out of this were, you know, regarding the beating of Hercules because there was an issue of Thunderbolts number 22 where he comes calling, uh, Hercules does, and he wants revenge on Goliath because that was at a time that the Thunderbolts had been revealed to be, you know, formerly the Masters. And so he knew that, uh, what was uh, Goliath's new name? Atlas? Yeah. So he knew that Atlas was Goliath. So he comes there to beat his ass. And it's Hawkeye that ends up standing in the way of that. That's a really great issue of the Thunderbolts. And then uh, I'm sure we'll end up talking at least a little bit about uh, Thunderbolts 105, which was the other uh, story that that kind of picked up a thread from this as well. But uh, yeah, I... I really, really enjoyed this story as a whole, but this particular issue where it all wraps up, um, I, I think is a, a really, really strong issue. I like this one a lot. I like the, I, I hate to say final confrontation between Cap and Zemo, because it is and it isn't. I mean, it's it's a really satisfying conclusion to the story, and it's a good, it would have made a really fine conclusion to their, uh, you know, their personal battles with each other, but... Uh, if, if there's one thing that was kind of a cop out in this is that, you know, Zemo's not dead. And I'm not sure if I feel better or worse that they tell you at the end of the story that Zemo's not dead. I think it would have been a cheat to find out later. But at the same rate, you know, you're you're looking at this awesome page on page uh, whatever page this is 19 where Zemo falls off the building. Cap tries to save him. He falls and it looks like he's dead and Cap just walks away turn the page and you learn an exposition that, Oh, by the way, he's not dead. And it's, you know, again, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Am I, am I cheated or is it like, well, I'd rather they tell me now than six months from now. See, I would have preferred that he's down on the ground. Cap's cap walks away and then cut to the ground again and he's gone. And you don't know how he's gone. You don't right, know if somebody yeah. spirited him away. You don't know if somehow he just survived it and got up and ran away. You don't know what happened, but you what just he? know he's gone. What is he? Michael Myers? Yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> I'm thinking in my mind. Halloween. <laughs> that's right. what I'm picturing. Ding, ding, ding. This, this book had a very cinematic feel to it. It, oh, it, yeah. feel, it feels like the ending of an action movie. 
when mm-hmm. when you know you, you have your your three acts and and at the, at the end of the second act it's you know lo- things are looking their darkest and now you know this is the point where the the heroes are coming back and you know right down to the to the lethal weapon battle between Mel Gibson and uh, Gary Busey it it just like I said it just has a total cinematic feel to me oh I thought you were talking so- about the South African guy. Diplomatic immunity. No, no, no. I was talking about the first <laughs> lethal weapon, not the second. And Cap goes, been revoked. and pushes him off the building. Cap is getting too old for this shit. <laughs> I would like to see some way, you know, if they could figure out how to do it, I would love to see the, the slow building of the Masters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to where eventually in one of the Avengers movies, that would be one of the movies. Is the the Avengers going up against the Masters? I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, what kind of well, villain? Well, if they stop killing their villains, that's the problem. You know, is that that you know in the in the movie universe they often you know that's often what happens is they end up killing off the bad guys. So I mean, at the mm, moment, but, well, just not really because you have Abomination is still alive, right? We yeah. you know although he disappeared, nobody believes that the Red Skull is dead. Right. Rumor has Loki it he's coming back alive. in the next movie. Yeah. Well, Loki Justin, is still alive. Justin, Justin Hammer is still alive. Justin Hammer is still alive. I mean, uh, sure. what's his name is dead? Uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, I don't want to see him back anyway. Yeah, it's that's that's really no loss. And, and um, they the, killed off the, uh, Whiplash. Um, yeah. Who else? Uh, Do we know? For yeah, I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. Dead? I'm sorry. So do we know for a fact that Whiplash is dead, or could well, he have just been unconscious? Yeah, See, what they need too. to do is just have show like somebody in the background, just a quick like. Okay, well, we, well, we got the Leaper, but I mean, well, I don't know if he's Master of Evil, right? Caliber. He was great for an opening sequence, though. Yeah, my original. But they need idea. more shots like that to introduce a couple villains that don't get shit canned right away. Right. I mean, that's what they're doing in the Spider-Man series with the Sinister Six. And I don't think they're doing it to maximum effect. Oh, well, wait. They're doing that in freaking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We got the Absorbing Man. Yeah. You know, who knows what else they might. I mean, if they really link this, you know, because they've linked the movies to the show. If they start linking the other way and and then like in a movie, we see somebody that was from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show, other than Coulson, obviously. Right. You know, we could start seeing some villains because in, in they've actually had the Blackout character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last season. Did they? Yeah, he was in the one where um, Colson had been dating a cellist or a violin player. or Anyway, he was dating someone, and she's stalked by a, a guy when they uh, – a bunch of guys escaped from the S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, holding facility, and this guy could control – like he would suck the light out of things. That's – okay. And they yeah, were playing him up as Blackout. I do remember that. Okay. And they yeah. also have Graviton. Yeah. In Shield, so actually they could pull them out and maybe stick them in a movie, possibly. And, I, and that doesn't have to necessarily be these guys. The, the oh, one no, that no. I would like to have though is Zemo. I, I'm hoping that they do figure out a way to bring Zemo into uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, that would make me very, very happy if they could figure out how to do that. Well, they do have Strucker. Yeah, and um, I like him. And. Paul, Even Paul. if they do manage to bring him in, though, it, it it's funny. It didn't really occur to me till I was reading, uh, rereading Thunderbolts 105 that as much as I love the Captain America movies, I, I really enjoy both of them a lot, that 
I'd always had this vague nagging feeling that, that there was something missing. And I finally hit upon what it is, is that without Zemo as part of the origin or part of the character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you're kind of missing a piece of Cap in the comic book incarnation because Zemo is a big part of his origin. Because Zemo's the one that was responsible for both Bucky's death and Cap being thrown into suspended animation. Mm-hmm. So without that, you know, you don't have that that conflict and that dynamic. Because a lot of people want to focus on the Red Skull, but in but a actually, lot of ways, that, Zemo is really his greatest enemy because Zemo is the one that father. Well, right? No, but I mean, one way or the other, whether you have it be you know the classic Baron Zemo or or the son, you know, which because the one that's in here is the son, but. I mean, essentially, it could be the same character because, you know, the the hatred and the rivalry and all that just carried right over with Helmet, you know, from his, you know, from his father. So even though the original one gets his comeuppance, sort of, it just continues with the son taking right over for the father. So that feud between the two of them just continues with the son. And, you know, unless they figure out a really clever way to do that in the in the movies, we'll never really get that. And that's kind of a shame because I like that dynamic between the two of them. Again, that was the conversation killer. That's okay. We'll 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 truncate the silence. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. What else have I got here? I had a, just a few notes on this one. Um, is it possible that this might be one of the best covers of the whole series? What I do think you guys so. think? You mean of the Avengers series as a whole, or of this this um, storyline? I would say of the Avengers as a whole, although, you know, it never occurred to me that uh, what Paul said about Cap defending himself with his non-shielded arm, that is a little bit, that's a little stupid on Cap's part. But I really do like this cover a lot. It, uh, you know, of course, it never would have had the same impact back in 87, but now in a post 9-11 world, I think it it has Mm. certain imagery that's just that much more evocative, you know, with the girder and everything. I was thinking mm-hmm. about that when they keep calling the uh, the villains uh, terrorists. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that it, it, it's that has a different connotation today than it did twenty years ago. Oh yeah, big time. This I noticed was one of the few post number one hundred issues of the Avengers. You know, I'm talking the original volume one Avengers. There's four. What is it? Four hundred and two issues, I think. This is one of the few issues past issue 100 that really has any solid back issue value to it. This one took me a hell of a long time to track down because post issue 100, I don't think I ever paid more than 50 cents, maybe a dollar at most for any single issue except this one because I just couldn't find the damn thing in in a cheap bin anywhere. I ended up having to shell out for it. And I think it's just because it is the, the, you know, it's that final chapter of this story that so many people consider the, you know, the best Avengers story. So there's so much story in these two books. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And yet there's still so much Dr. Druid. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I like, I like the character. She, she doesn't have a major role to play in the story, but I like the character of the villainous yellow jacket. Because she just comes yeah. off as a as a pragmatic, uh, you know, kind of gun for hire. As soon as she thinks there's nothing in it for her, you know, she she just yeah, that's fine. I I surrender. Well, but also even, even beforehand, she's constantly thinking about well, how does this affect me? Right. You know, it's not this this blind loyalty to Zemo or anything. Speaking well, of Yellow Jacket, take a look at page ten, panel four. That's all I gotta say. 
Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I hadn't <Yeah>. noticed that. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> Origin- as originally drawn, those legs were behind her neck. <laughs> Page seven, I just uh, feel it needs pointing out that uh, Dr. Druid sucks even worse in, fa- in flashback. <laughs> yeah! He's getting it right between the shoulder blades in the flat and the flashback, whereas in the last he got like issue, in his thigh he, last time. Yeah, it was in his. I thought it was like in his shoulder or something. But, but his yeah. mental powers are so awesome that he doesn't even have to get <laughs> up. He just lays on the floor. He's and, comfy. And page eight, panel three, it's like he's going cross-eyed. Well, he's Is got he a little, little blackout the... tattooed to his head. <laughs> he's got a little. <laughs> Is he wearing the original Human Torch's costume underneath his Snuggie? Because that's almost what it looks like on the top of page seven right there. The reporter on that's like right toward the end of the page after Zemo falls off the building. I thought it actually looked a lot like Roger Stern himself. I wonder if that was purposeful or not. I don't know. I'm not sure what what he looks like. I thought he looked like, like, like Wally Cox. Yeah, today at the Avengers Mansion. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't be at all surprised if that was on purpose, though. The Black Knight's being... T- he's giving the thumbs up as he's being carted away by the medics. Oh, I feel good. Yeah. Hey! All right. <laughs> Jarvis not looking too good. And then they just have a sheet over Blackout's face. Yeah, he's dead. His feet are sticking out. His feet. Uh, his feet are cold. Did, now, did you see the, the shot when... Uh... Early on, and I, I made mention of it in the synopsis, when they're tending to to Jarvis on page, what's it, page three? Oh, he's tiny Jarvis? Yeah, look how tiny he is. Page. Scott Lang is right next to him. Look oh. how tiny he is. He literally had to beat out of him. Like little bitty Jarvis. <laughs> he looks so small. They beat 20 pounds out of him. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of scrawny. He looks like, is is that like blood trickling out of the side of his mouth right there? It's hard to... I, it, it could be. It does kind of look like it is. You know, the funny thing about Jarvis for me is that upon doing my reread, you know, my attempt to read through all of the Avengers, which I have to be honest, I need to pick that back up. I keep stalling out on that. But on doing that read through, of course, I read a lot of issues and a lot of storylines that I'd never read before because I just never read Avengers from issue one to whatever. And there was a story in the early issues where Jarvis betrayed the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the story, and like next issue, it's like it's completely forgotten. I can't remember a time when it's ever been referenced again. I do remember them. I don't remember what it was, but I do remember that they did mention it again later. That was in that was, was Ultron, the, who basically was the Crimson Cowl thing. Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, I don't remember if he. He did something. It had something to do with Jarvis's mother. And... His mother, yeah. He kidnapped his mother, and basically used her as leverage to get Jarvis to betray the Avengers, which he readily did. And, and I think they make mention of it in the next appearance of Ultron. I'm pretty sure they oh, do. Okay. I've just I I have to be honest. Ever since I've read that story, I I don't look at Jarvis the same way anymore. He just doesn't seem uh, as whatever as he used to to me. Now I, I'm I'm always looking at him going, all right, when's he going to betray the Avengers again? You hey, know? man, they had his mother. I know, but it's, you know, I can't hey, you see You would turn on somebody... me and Bill if they grabbed your mom. 
Oh, I'd turn on you in a heartbeat, not even for that. But he 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 turned on <laughs> us if they took a sandwich away from him. <laughs> but you know, I can't see somebody kidnapping Alfred Pennyworth's mother, and he betrays Bruce Wayne and Dick Grace. I just can't see that. Whereas they take Jarvis's mother, and he's just like, all right, well, let me turn on the Avengers, and you know, whatever. It just seemed like there there should have been some way that he would have made an attempt to like tip them off or you know what i mean but there was nothing yeah. he just betrayed yeah, them there should have been some it. sort of heroic aspect to it yeah and and then all was forgiven at the end of the day and i'm like what really see i was but, okay with all of that i couldn't forgive him after he banged aunt may <laughs> what where, where did i miss that oh yeah that was during the, the just before uh the whole I think just before the civil war thing. Yeah. Oh god. They were living in the Avengers Mansion. No, that didn't happen. No, I did. Did I black that out? I must have blacked that out. La la la. I'm not listening to you. La 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 la. No sex with that. He banged Aunt May. Jesus, who is Aunt May not banging? She's banging. She's banging J. Jonah Jameson's dad or something. See, I, I actually liked. I loved the time when. Oh, that's right. I remember it now. Peter and and MJ were living in Avengers Mansion. And Peter is kind of getting his shit together and getting his life together and working for Tony Stark and all that. And I liked Aunt May and Jarvis together. I actually thought that was really cool. So bow, yeah, that bow, bow, that bow. all of that never happened. Now just sucks. But anyway, that's pretty much all I had on this issue. I uh, I dug it. I thought it was really good. I love the ending. Well, I love there... the whole the whole story from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the one of the best executed stories because sometimes you know they they start off strong and they the ending kind of lets you down and this one started strong and it stayed strong right till the very end yep and and like you said they 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 gave you almost the the biggest emotional hit right at the very very end well two more points i just want to add is that spinning out of this not too long after in the regular title will be where uh zeus comes down and he's pretty ticked off about what had happened to hercules and there's going to be some consequences from that. Um, you know, I, I, although it's been a while since I've read it, I can't remember. Is it called Assault on Olympus or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah. yeah. So, but and then a later, like we had touched upon briefly, you had mentioned Thunderbolts 22 and Thunderbolts 105, which takes place during Civil War time frame, was when Zemo was leading the Master of Evil etc he had been in a like a cosmic game with the game master and granted some cosmic power and he restores steve rogers um um yeah footlocker Foot to him with everything in it his original shield photo of his mother a peewee reese autograph ball which i guess was here was actually babe ruth it says, and, yeah, it says babe ruth and lou gehrig in here yeah i'm so, thinking peewee reese isn't worth as much money <laughs> but um so basically Zemo had some alien gems, and I don't remember what gems they were. I don't want to say infinity gems, but he's able to pluck this from time and bring it forward. And he also tries to convince Cap that he's gone to the you know the side of the angels and gives him some type of key to fight against him. Uh, do you guys remember reading that? Hmm. No, I never read that one. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure on that one. I looked up while, while we were doing all this, I looked up uh, The Shroud. And he apparently is still around, and it looks like his most recent appearance was in the, uh, what the heck was it, the, that, that event they had with Daredevil, uh, the, 
the one when he took when he went bad and was possessed by where yeah. they had the, uh, the the they basically had the big thing in Manhattan Shadowland. Yeah. So he was he was in that. Did anybody have any topics on 105, or did we that kind of just drop off when we? Yes, it's 105. <laughs> well, I mean, I I didn't synopsize it or anything. Oh no no no! I, I mean, that. I just... a little bit if you wanted me to. No, I, I guess. Uh, well, I guess we've uh, finally reached the end of, of another storyline. What do you guys want to try as a group together for our next plot next line? time on next... an all new Avengers spotlight? Or, or, uh, well, I told I've told you guys what I had in mind, right? Right, right. What was that? The uh, Avengers focus on Doctor Doom. Hmm. We each pick okay. an issue where where Doctor Doom is the opponent. Now, are we going to do? We had discussed with our special guest star that's going to be on that. Are we going to do individual Doctor Doom Avenger issues, or are we? Gonna, there's a three part storyline that took place not too long ago. I thought perhaps we were going to cover that. I wasn't sure on that. I was thinking individual issues that we each just pick a, a Doctor Doom Avengers related story, but uh, I don't know. I'd be up to hear what what people would like. Well, I guess we can maybe we can put the call out on Facebook. And I would like to before sometime before the new Avengers movie comes out, I would like to do a focus on Ultron. Yes, and, and that I'm not really saying do individual issues. I mean it actually a focus where we don't actually pick issues. We just talk about the history of the character from its inception to now. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think we should definitely do that. You know, we can kind of give a quick, you know, instead of synopsizing books, we can give just a brief summary of the history of the character, what books he's appeared in, and you know what it's his, his history has been. I think we should do it real close to movie time as a as a tie into it. We could do that. A shameless obligatory coattail writing tie-in. Yeah, there you go. We could do that instead of doing it on on back to the bins. We could do it here. Oh, this is. This this spin off. Back to the bins presents. Back to the bins presents. This is two. This is two, two true, true freaks, freaks presents. Back to the bins presents Avengers Spotlight. Presents the obligatory <laughs> coattail writing Ultron episode. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. But so, uh, I'm not I, fidgeting. Sit still. God damn it. I can't. I'm just too excited.